Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. How are we doing today? Awesome, fantastic. Um, earlier this week, I bought a new like little tablet holder for my tablet. It's so fancy. So you guys get to first experience it. Hopefully it doesn't fail. Wow, look at that. Give it up for tablet holders. They make the world go round. Alrighty, well, last week uh, we finished our series covering the book of Proverbs. And uh, today I get the opportunity to talk and share really about whatever I want. It's pretty nice. Um, by the way, uh, I get, um, I'm really excited. Um, I, I, don't, I don't view the opportunity to share God's word as anything small or anything little. There is a privilege, there is a weight, there is an honor that we get to be able to manage God's word that is alive and powerful, that we get to hear it on a weekly basis. We are privileged, we are blessed, and um, it's going to be a great morning, solely just the fact that we get to hear God's word. Amen? Yes. Amen? Yes. All righty. So today we're going to be doing a study out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible, um, and uh, we're going to start with uh, kind of towards the end of it, and then we'll, we'll jump towards the beginning of it, and we'll go back to the end of it. We're going to read the scripture like 10 times. It's going to be great. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 4, and if I had a title for my message today, it would be reality. Say reality. reality. All righty, let's do this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, therefore, say therefore, therefore. we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but what is unseen. For since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal." Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for how great and grand you are, God. I pray, God, that this morning you would help us rearrange our eyes, rearrange our priorities, rearrange our hearts, God, where we're not too troubled by the trouble around us, God, but that we can find peace and comfort and hope in what you're doing behind the scenes. Father God, this morning we surrender to you. I pray that, God, that your spirit would, 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 would fall on us, Lord. And I pray, God, that we would continue to trust in you, believe in you, that you have something specific for our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had a perfect plan and then the world, and, and then the world came by and just destroyed it? And God, in all his audacity, didn't adjust his will to meet your plan. Isn't that annoying? Isn't that frustrating sometimes? I found a funny meme sometimes of kind of like, so oftentimes, this is kind of how our plan for our life goes, right? You know, it's just, you know, it's casual, it's smooth, it's a beautiful Sunday day. And then God's plan comes along, and there's a chasm and rocks and bridge and lightning and all this craziness. I remember a few years ago, me and my wife, we were getting ready to celebrate our 11-year anniversary, and we thought it would be a great time if we, uh, we booked an Airbnb in Arizona, and um, the grandparents were coming, so we had built-in childcare, and we were just going to spend uh, four, it was five days in Arizona, and what could go wrong? It's been great. Well, what can go wrong is bringing three kids under five on an airplane. That can always go wrong. 
Um, I remember well, when we first get to the airplane, for some reason, my wife was uh, keen that we needed to bring every car seat for them for an airplane. I mean, if the airplane's going down, we're all going down. But whatever, okay, so I'm backpacking all these car seats to the airplane. We get in our seats, we're installing them. 15 minutes later, they let us on first because they look at me and they felt, you know, sad for me, huh, this poor guy. Um, so we get in, and you know, it takes 15 minutes to get our car seats in. Everyone's sitting down, and uh, the flight attendant walks up to us and said, you're going to have to move. You can't be in this seat because this is an emergency evacuation row. So I'm like, OK. I was like, well, where do you want us to go, right? And no joke, she pointed to the other emergency evacuation row. I was like, are you serious? What's the difference? She's like, it matters. I was like, oh, so these people don't matter, but these people do matter? Literally, we had to go from one evacuation row to the other. I was so mad. But whatever. We're in Arizona. It's beautiful, bright, sunny day. We get there. We go to a Mariners preseason game. It's our anniversary day. Me and my wife, we go out, have a great time. We come home or to our Airbnb, and uh, our oldest starts violently, violently puking every 45 minutes, all day and all night. The next day, our middle child, Hendrix, starts violently puking all day and all night every 45 minutes. Our first one's still puking. I'm in bed with one of them with a bucket. Jesse's in bed with the other one with a bucket. Our third day, our 14-month-old daughter, Izzy, starts violently puking all day and all night. This one was awful, right? You can't, you can't communicate to a 14-year-old where they're supposed to puke, right? So literally that night, she was in the middle of us in our bed, and we had like towers of towels around us. So when she woke up, Jesse would grab her head, and I would just do my best to like catch all of the vomit <laughs> in our bed. The next day, my wife, Jesse, gets it. She pukes once, and then she's fine, because moms are just built different. I don't know. <laughs> the next day, I get it. I'm a baby, right? I'm crying on the toilet. I'm puking every 45 minutes. My wife is still sick, but she's like, man up. I'm like, I'm not. I'm so sad. I'm on vacation. Uh, I puke every 45 minutes, all day, all night. The next day? It was our flight home, and we just like looked and smelt like death. Let's reread our scripture. Therefore, do not lose heart. Outwardly, we are wasting away, you think? But yet, inwardly, we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and unseen is eternal. Say eternal. eternal. That last uh, part of that scripture, um, uh, is, is, the, the scripture as a whole is a really interesting statement, right? About fixing our eyes, not what is seen, but what is unseen. And when you say that out loud, that sounds great. Be like, yeah, the unseen, ugh, right? But what happens when life just hits you with a pile of vomit? 
What happens when life hits you and all your plans and all the things you cared about and all your arrangements and you just look around and you just see it's a mess? What do you mean don't fix my eyes on this? It's all I can see. What do you mean don't fix my eyes on the scene? Because it's almost felt like it's been a day after day after day of buildup and disappointment. It's hard not to fix my eyes on that. And Paul is not saying that what we see doesn't matter. He's not saying what you're going through doesn't matter. He's saying that what we go through, yeah, we see it, but we fix our eyes on something so much bigger that everything we see, let us weigh it and measurement to what God is doing eternally behind the scenes. Amen? I can see the problem, but I can also focus on the work that Jesus did on the cross. I can feel overwhelmed. I can feel I can feel like I'm going through it, but that's why we need the body of Christ around us to encourage us, people to get around us and say, hey, you know what? I know you're having a hard time. I'm here for you, but Jesus is still working in your circumstance. There will always be tension that happens when when what we believe doesn't always match up with what we see. Don't you hate the fact that today we have to ask the question, what is real? Like on everything. Like, is what I'm seeing real or is it AI? <laughs> Am I, is what I'm hearing real or is it an edited clip? What is reality? What's really going on? The definition of reality, what I looked up, it says this. It says, the world or state of things as they actually exist, opposed to the idealistic notion of them. Hollywood has been really good at selling us things that are fake, right? I mean, we pay money to watch fake people act out fake stories and they make hundreds of millions of dollars for it, right? I have this picture right here of Mark Ruffalo, which on the left looks kind of ridiculous, right? With like the, the black dots on his face and I don't know what he's wearing. But um, turn into this. Avengers revenued $365 million. And did you know of the 2,700 clips in that movie, 2,500 of them are CGI? That's crazy to think about it, right? What is real? I don't know if you're a parent in the room, you have to, and if you, if you have multiple kids, you always have to ask that question. Because oftentimes, you'll hear three separate cries all at the same time. And all three of them are crying, and all three of them did the wrong thing, and all three of them said the wrong word. And, you, and if you're a good parent, you just punish all of them. Because... <laughs> We cannot figure out what really happened in that circumstance. You're all in trouble, right? I remember uh, a couple years ago, it might have been like a year ago, I was driving and uh, my oldest, uh, Maddox, I'm, I'm driving and he goes, hey dad, are dragons real? I say, no. He goes, yes they are. I'm like, okay. He, and he asked me again, hey dad, are dragons real? I say, no. He goes, ugh. Like that sound, I'm like, Bro. He, and he goes, hey, dad, are dragons real? I'm like, yes. He goes, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But it can be really exhausting, right? Trying to decipher everything. 
of what we're seeing, of what we're healing, hearing, of what we're feeling, of what we're going through, and trying to find the answer, is this real? Is this right? Is this wrong? We watch the news. We, we see a 10-second clip. We hear a study. We have to ask the question, okay, is there an angle? Is there an agenda? Is there an idea behind it? Who's reporting it? What's the study? What's the real? We just can't take things at face value. We have to ask the question time and time again, is it real? Let's reread uh, verse 16 of our, of, of our starting passage. And it says, therefore, say therefore. We do not lose heart, though outwardly we are facing away, wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. That word, therefore, is an adverb, which is referring to something that was previously stated, right? So he's saying, therefore, we do not lose heart. And the question that I want to ask us this morning is, what is our therefore? What is the thing that in, that's in our life when we're up against the wall, when I can point to that and say, that is why I do not lose heart? When we start wavering, when we allow discouragement to weigh in, when we're feeling the tension, when we're feeling stretched, when we're feeling depressed, when, we're, when it feels like we're just losing it and we just don't know what is grounding us, what is our there for? Now, as a believer, if Jesus, or even just as a basic, you know, a church answer of like, is the answer Jesus? Yes, right? But even a kid might be able to answer that, but it's not answering the question as Jesus, it's arranging Jesus to be the answer. It's not saying my therefore is Jesus as my answer. It's arranging Jesus in our life, in our priorities, in our heart, in our focus, on our mind, of, our, of, of constantly putting it next to what we see, constantly putting it next to what we feel, constantly putting it of what we're going to, to our therefore in our lives is what we most rely on. Our therefore in our lives is what we most rely on. And oftentimes it's our family. And oftentimes it's our relationships, it might be our job, it might be our bank account, it might be our, our, our skills, it might be our accomplishments, it might be our strength, it might be our health. But what happens when these temporary things start to fade? What happens when you're there for is no longer as strong as it used to be? What happens when you're there for that was always the thing that you relied on there's tension at home now. Your marriage isn't as strong as it once was. You're dealing with depression for the first time. You don't know how to navigate it. Your work is making changes, and it, it does, it's not looking great. You're dealing with something financially that you never suffered before. You lost somebody in your life that you truly loved. What happens when you're there for is taken away, then that next part of that scripture is, is, is kind of sad because you're stuck seeing the outwardly waste away. We're stuck seeing the mess. We're stuck seeing the hopelessness. We're stuck wasting away. And what happens is we find ourselves in a loop 
of seeing temporary problems and trying to fix them with temporary solutions. King Solomon recognized this. He wrote a whole book about it in the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 1, verse 2, he starts off with this. He says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanities. That word vanity right there translates, if you look at the definition, it means hevel. Hevel is used 39 times. 39? Yep. 39 times in that book. It, it, it talks about that, that, that definition is like a vapor or like a smoke that you can see the figure of it and opposed to when you get to it and you grab it and you realize it had no substance. This was a man who, who, who was exceptional in, in achieving great wealth and great knowledge and great accomplishment and great power, but he still had everything and realized that it was just smoke. My favorite uh, verse, and I don't have the, the slide on here, is, is uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. He says that God has planted eternity in man's heart. God has planted eternity in man's heart. And you think about that, of all the things that we continue to feed and feed and feed our heart, and we realize that the only thing that can feed eternity is the only one that is eternal. Paul's therefore was actually stated earlier in this chapter. So we're going to back it up a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to start on verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. I'm going to read the NIV version, but you know that one's going to be pretty similar. It says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that an all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Paul is saying when there was darkness, God brought forth light. When there was hopelessness, it was Jesus that was displayed on our lives, that all God's glory and power was displayed through having the faith of Christ Jesus in our heart. That is our therefore. That is our therefore when we are starting to waver, when we're starting to lose heart. We can look and see all the mess, and I can see it wasting away, but I know that I'm being renewed by Jesus day by day. Because I know when I'm looking at the mess, when I'm looking at the disappointment, I can look to the work of the cross and know, yeah, times are tough now, but I know what Jesus did for me. Yeah, I'm going through it now, but I know how the story ends. I know that God hasn't left me nor forsaken me. I might feel crushed. I might feel, but I am, I, I might feel, let's uh, reread that, blah, blah. I might feel hard pressed, but I'm not crushed. Yeah. I feel like I'm going through it, but I'm not abandoned. That is my therefore. Yet outwardly we are wasting away, but thank God that he cared so much about these jars of clay like us. Thank God that he cared about these jars of clay that were so cheap, so insignificant. The jars of clay, uh, I, I think Paul was really intentional of using this metaphor to the Corinthian church because the Corinthian church had a really high view of themselves. They, they loved to talk about their gifts. 
They love, uh, they actually didn't even like Paul. They didn't. He started that church. And they're like, show me proof that you're an apostle. He's like, you're my proof. What are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> um, they didn't like that he was poor. They didn't like that he wasn't an elegant speaker. They didn't like that he suffered, which is funny. He's like, the Christians shouldn't suffer. <sighs> Call yourself an apostle. Um, but they didn't, want, they didn't want Paul. And Paul is using this metaphor to, to, to remind them. He's saying that we are all but jars of clay. Let me uh, reread the scripture right there. Uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verses uh, 6. Um, or no, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that all surpassing power is from God and not from us. Jars of clay are not special. They're not common. They're very brittle, right? It's easy for them to build cracks. It's easy for them. It, 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 that is something you don't put treasure inside. And he's telling the Corinthians, and through the Holy Spirit, he's telling us today, it's not about what's wasting away on the outside. It's easy. Life can make it easy for us to feel broken. Life can quickly make it easy for us to feel discouraged, to feel devalued. But know that God has put an eternal treasure that's far beyond our worth inside us. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yeah, we're jars of clay. I feel beat up. I feel like we're going through it. Yeah, just a jar of clay. But don't forget that's that jar of clay that has a power and worth that should never have been put in there inside of it, only because of the grace and love of Jesus. I know there's times when you feel worthless. We've all been there. But God has looked at us. Do you know what determines something's worth? What somebody's willing to pay for it. God looked at you and said that your worth was worth his suffering on the cross. God looked at you and said, your worth is worth me bleeding and dying and carrying the whole sins of the world for. That is your worth. And just remember that we're jars of clay and let's learn to have an exceptional amount of grace and patience for all of us. It's easy sometimes to look at another jar of clay and be like, look how deformed that one is. It's easy to look and see, like, look how brittle that that jar is. It's easy to look around and say, you know what, that, one, that one's not very fancy. That one's not very, but we're all reality. We're all jars of clay. It's easy to see people's cracks. Yeah, that's a butt joke. I have a seven, a five, and a two-year-old. They think it's hilarious, Okay. <laughs> It's easy to see the brokenness in people, but let's not forget that we have that same brokenness, but it's the wholeness of who Jesus that is inside of us, that renews us day by day. Say day by day. day, by 
I, uh, I remember this story that was told once. Uh, it it might have been by Pastor Matt in the youth ministry or, or, or Bill or Gabe. I, it, it was someone who was sharing this, but it's always been a, a story that stuck with me. Um, it was a story of uh, two lumberjacks. And uh, there was an older lumberjack and a younger lumber, lumberjack. The younger one, you know, he, he, he was nice and worked out. He was young. He looked good. Just a shining reflection of me. Um, but no, uh, and... The younger one comes up to the, the older lumberjack. You know, he's all cocky. He's like, hey, let's have a competition. At the end of this job, let's see who can cut down the most trees. The, I think the older man just probably just like, ah, OK, whatever. It's just, you know, just work fast. Good. OK. Um, so the day started, right? And they're cutting down trees, 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 right? And the job's progressing, and the job's progressing. And every now and then, the, the younger guy would look over, and he would see the older guy sitting down. He's like, huh, you know, take a break, whatever. And he's either cutting, and they're doing their thing, and they're doing their thing, and the same trend would continue each workday. The older man would sit down for a little bit, and the young man would continue, and, and then they'd get back, and it would just continue. And the end of the job, the older lumberjack smoked him. And he was confused. He was like, how did you beat me? I saw you taking breaks all the time. And the older lumberjack saying, I wasn't taking a break. I was sharpening my ax. You see, I'm going to read a scripture. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12. And if I could get the keys to come forward. It says, for the word of God is living and powerful and is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing into even the divisions of the soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. And I think oftentimes we approach life like that younger lumberjack. That we approach life and we see the obstacles in front of us. And we take what God has given us and we use it and we, we see the problem and we hit it and we hit it and we hit it and we hit it. And then we hit it and we hit it and we hit it and we hit it and we keep going and we keep going and we keep willing and we keep trying and we keep going. And but trial after trial, that axe starts to become dull. Time after time, that axe starts to wear out and our strength wasn't what it once was. And it's important to take the time and not so much worry about what we can see, but prioritize and know what we can't see. That the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. That I need to take time to grab a hold of God's word and say, Jesus, I want you to be my therefore. I want to arrange you in my life, in my heart. I'm struggling right now. I, I see a forest of problems that's right in front of my face. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see all the problems. I want to focus on the unseen. It's funny because the younger lumberjack never knew why he was sitting down to begin with. He thought he was just taking breaks. But it was the very reason why he was actually able to win. It's those alone times and the unknown. I know the problems stack. And oftentimes we just want to run at it and try to solve it and try to fix it. It's those times alone in prayer when we're allowing the Holy Spirit to calm our hearts. It's the time alone in our word where we're reminding ourselves 
that God has not abandoned us. He has not forsaken us. Just a few more verses later, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. Say mercy. And find the grace to help in time of need. Boldly come to God saying, God, I need you now. And the funny thing is, every single time I come to God in that, when I'm in my own stuff, I always hear the voice of like, I've been here now. I am here now. I feel like you need to hear that. There might be a cry that you have in your life right now saying, God, I need you now. And God is saying back to you, I am here now. Let us boldly arrange our life so what we rely on is him. Let's have him be our therefore. The real work is when we allow God's work to work. The real work is when we allow God's work to work. I'm gonna reread our scripture again. Like I said, I told you we're gonna read this like 10 times because I hope at least at the end of this, you'll remember the scripture. (laughs) I'm gonna start on verse 17 though. It says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not what is seen, but what is unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen is eternal. I love how Paul says light and momentary troubles. The same Paul that, who wrote this was lashed 39 times, five separate times. He was flogged five separate times. Or, yeah, he was beaten almost to death with rods three separate times. He was plummeled with, he was almost stoned to death. The disciples had to raise him back. He was shipwrecked three times. He was adrift in sea several times. He was bitten by snakes. He was imprisoned multiple times. And eventually he was martyred. At one point you gotta say, God, am I really on the right path now? But what's crazy, when when you see Paul's story, when you hear his writings, you realize that Paul was so intent to not allow what he saw prevent him from focusing on what he couldn't. He was so intent to make sure what he saw didn't get in the way of him focusing on Jesus. Can we close our eyes and... uh, bow our heads this morning. Like I said earlier, this wrestle that we have in life of trying to figure out what is reality, what is real. Church, I want to encourage you to do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. There's parents in this room that are watching their kids walk away. Do not lose heart. Keep praying for your son. Keep praying for your daughter. There's parents in this room, there's people in this room that are struggling financially and you just have no idea what the next step is. Do not lose heart. God is here. He is present in your problem. 
There's people that feel lost, that feel hollow, that feel empty. We have ever-surpassing worth, a treasure that has been put inside of you. Revelation chapter 22, verse 13, it says, I am Alpha and Omega, first and last, the beginning and the end. God was there before the problem, and he's going to be there after the problem. When the world falls down, it is still the throne of King Jesus that will stand tall. This morning, there's two uh, groups of people I want to um, offer prayer for. If this morning, if you're saying, you know what, my therefore, I really want it to be Jesus, but it's not. I really want it to put him as my, as my priority, but it's not. I'm stuck seeing the problems. I'm really discouraged. And I just want prayer to, to, to put Jesus back in his proper place. I want prayer to help him renew my heart so I'm not stuck looking at my outwards, wasting away. If that's you this morning, you're saying, you know what, I... Jesus, I want you to be my therefore. I want you to be my king. I want you to be my fallback. I want you to be my strength. If that's you this morning, go ahead and raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Go ahead and raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Go ahead and raise your hand. I see that hand over there. I see that hand over there. I see that hand over there. That hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Father God, we just thank you for each person that's responded just now, God. God, I just pray, God, that first, we just thank you for your grace that meets us. We thank you for your love that's not discouraged by our mess, by our problems. I pray, God, that right now, God, that you would show us practical ways, God, of how we can put you as our priority. God, remind us in the quiet times, in the unseen times, God, to focus on your word, to focus on prayer, God. We commit our lives, we commit our ways, we commit ourselves to you. And our second group of people, if you came in this morning and you've never actually had a real personal relationship with Jesus, you've heard about Jesus, but you've never experienced a personal relationship with God for yourself, I'm here to tell you that this morning that Jesus loves you. He loves you so much. And he came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross. He rose three days later. He loves you. The, the, the thought that God in all of his eternity wants to come and have a personal, one-on-one, special relationship with you, that is what it means to know Jesus. If you're saying this morning, I would love, I want to accept Jesus. I want Jesus to be my savior. I want Jesus to be my king. I want to know God on that deep and personal level. And I would like prayer for that. If that's you on the count of three, I would like you to raise your hand one two, three. Go ahead and raise your hand if that's you. I see a hand over there in the back. Father God, can I have everyone uh, repeat after me? Say, Jesus. Say, Jesus. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for the cross. I believe in you. Forgive me for all of my sins. I receive your grace. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I want to put you as my king of kings. 
Father God, we just thank you for everything that has happened this morning. Holy Spirit, thank you that you've moved. And thank you, God, that you're not done moving. I pray, God, that after this, God, that we would not lose sight and only see what we can see, but, God, that we'd focus on the unseen. We would know that you are there. We love you. We thank you for everything that you have in store for this church. In Jesus' name, amen.